what what does electronic music make or bring into your experience as a human being big question um When, when we speak about electronic music, it's it's an oeuvre, it's a, it's a body of audio art that is vast, like it's broad and it's deep. And there are so many different branches and sub-branches and micro-branches that just all go back to lineages, where we could say, let's just artificially stop at the classics, right? Or the time when Gustav Mahler composed, which was probably one of my top three other contenders, Symphony Number no. One, The mm -hmm. Titan from Gustav Mahler. And what, what electronic music in that broad definition, without going into any of the subgenres, what that for me means is. It has a lot to do with the law of the second law. Of, I don't know what law of thermodynamics it is, but it's the law of entropy. So entropy just gradually just gets bigger as the universe gets older. And as the tree of music gets older and bigger, we get more entropy in the form of so many different ways to conduct music, to compose music and, and to express music. And when I look at this particular album from, from Sasha, who is... By, by the way, for most people known as a very mainstream DJ, he got the whatever DJ awards five times in a row or something. So he's by any definition mainstream. Um, and his last night on earth, um, kind of like once a month type of uh, mix is mainstream. But this album from, I think about 10, 12 years ago, the Involver 2 album is, is entirely different. And it actually links back to Gustav Mahler and back to what I consider... So Gustav Mahler was a progressive composer that was bro who broke out of the confines of the really nice, neat uh, music, the chamber music of Mozart, and even the very classical structure of, of Beethoven. He basically said, fuck it. I just want to do something that is outrageous. And that is, in particular, in the symphony number no. one, is to just hold a tone for about two minutes which is just barely, barely like no noticeable. It's just the violence, just playing a tone for two minutes. Whereas then later in, in the last, in the last um, movement, he just basically demolishes your eardrums in, in, with, with the first like, bah, 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 bah. and so what this album in, in the electro sense represents for me is the, the fact that electronic music has provided composers infinite possibilities mm. like you could we could do this for ten thousands hundred thousands of years and there would always be another composer that would come up with something that your ears have never heard before mm. and when your ears hear something that they've never heard before it gets into your body into your nervous system and it will trigger various emotions of joy sadness anger whatever it is and that's why this particular album is very contextual because I listened to this for the first time in my life when I was actually not really happy. 
and to listen to this album hundreds of times over the last 10 years is a fascinating experience for me because I always listen it differently. There's, there's never the same. It, it sometimes, there, there's some archetypical emotions or patterns that come up for me, but there's always something new. And I've played the clarinet when I was younger, so I'm I'm not trained in classical music. I didn't study it, but I was I was semi-decent. I played in symphonic orchestras, like youth orchestras as a teenager. So I have a I have a fairly basic good understanding of what music is, what all the different, let's say, elements is to 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 make good music. And then to come up to come up to your question and to round up my first long response, what does electronic music give me opposed to classic music and so forth? It's like you know when 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 uh, when Giorgio Moroder, uh, every everyone calls me Giorgio, but when he came up with the click on a twenty seven track on on the on the Morgue module, mm. I think he opened up a Cambrian explosion to 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 take the biology meme of music that now thirty years later we we call electronic music. But it covers such, as I said, such a vast array of styles that it, it's almost a joke to say, do you like electronic music? Yeah, I do. Yeah, but what? <laughs> what kind of electronic music? So let me just uh, pause there. And... Yeah, it felt like the last part of your answer was like the entering of a Daft Punk like song. Mm. <laughs> yes. <laughs> like, my name is Georgia. And... <laughs> Yeah, what could I say? Like, for me, I mean, I, I, I'm also not well versed in music. Like this, having these conversations is my way of understanding more about the thing. Like, this is the way on which I build my own PhD in music, like bringing in, because as you said, like music is so diverse. Let's know, not only say like classical music, but when, when someone asks you like, do you like music? It's like, I, I don't know what to say. And there is like so much things going on within that question that for me at, at the end ends up being like, this is an exploration to music through the eyes of other people so that I can bring more of it into myself. Because if someone answers to this question with with a, with an album of Britney Spears, for example, it brings me the opportunity of listening to that album with new eyes. And, and that, uh, it's crazy, like what we could call mainstream music and which I, from my ego, would say like, it's bad or it's shitty, it doesn't, it's not music, you know? I have seen myself saying that from a, an egoic place of I know more about music than other people. But then I realized like my, my girl is one year old and she groups to reggaeton, you know? And it's like this, and, and it's like, I can put like the best music in my eyes to her and she's bored. And then she listens to this and she like, naturally flows with it so so there is something very primitive to to music and and today when i was listening to the album i i i connected to the feeling that i have had 
several times in festivals or in parties like listening to electronic music specifically that is like this sensation of the brain or the mind being melted you know it's like uh, you cannot think because the like the mind is on a journey and, and a thought interrupts that journey and I, I like I don't want to interrupt it so it's like let's journey with it. <laughs> so there are a couple of things that resonate very strongly. Let me unpick them one by one. So what you refer to is what I call psych, uh, sort of like music as psychedelic experience. Meaning, this type of album, Gustav Mahler's, uh, Keith Jarrett, his solo piano albums, very have it have that quality on me that I can completely forget myself. I, there is no way I could think. It's just every like it's just pure existence in in, in an audit in an auditory way because it actually impinges on your eardrums. And I mean, listening is one of the weirdest things. It it has no distance because it's always here. Whereas with eyesight, it's a, it's, it's, it, I feel it's much more of a context on a context, whether it's like a mile away or so forth. It's even even if the, the speakers were, let, I mean, you need to obviously hear this and sometimes then the trebles and so start to you lose them a bit, but whether I listen to it on my big stereo, on a small UE boom or on my, on my ear, earphones, it's just pretty much the same. And so when it impinges this type of album, when it impinges on my eardrums, I completely let go of anything that is, I consider my life, let's basically. And moment by moment, I am the music. I embody the music. It goes, and I've listened to this one hundreds of times. So I know exactly what's coming, right? Um, so I, I feel like I am the music. And you mentioned something really important about mainstream or pop music. And it's it's a manifestation of the, the cultural industrial media complex, right? It needs to be scalable, it needs to be profitable. And that means uh, there needs to be a formula. It means that you ideally can actually exchange the people that do the singing and dancing. You know, they're actually secondary most of, most of the time, as long as there's a story that can be built around that. I don't like it either. I used to be incredibly critical of it um, until I just basically let go because I realized why I don't like it. And this has to do with uh, what I wrote to you in the email that I find it incredibly difficult to have multiple um, sources of, of audio, multiple sound sources and multiple modalities. And I once had the epiphany where I realized why do I love classic music so much and I really can't be asked to go to an opera? I think I've been to an opera once in my life and I'm like, I don't think I need this again. And it is because it's too much for me to have the constant singing with the constant music in competition. And in most pop songs, and I listened a lot to heavy metal and emo when I was younger and other things, I now know that when there is lyrics, I focus on the lyrics and the music actually becomes a means to an end. It needs it, it, it the, the music, you know, the, the rhythm and the melodies, they actually turn someone's poetry into a song. But that's what it is. It's it's a it's 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 a song that in, it's a poetry that's enhanced by these elements. 
Whereas if I dive into pure electronic music, it's it's almost like on an order of magnitude a deeper experience for me. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so that could be like a role that uh, electronic music plays also, like the forgetting of the lyrics, because there is also, I mean, there is sometimes people that talk or uh, yeah, recordings from Alan Watts or whatever going on in the background, but they are not like the main thing. And, and I, I was wondering now, as, as you said that last part, uh, yesterday we went to see, uh, we went to the cinema to see the last movie of Marvel, Black Panther. I don't know if you are familiar with it or if you have seen lately a, a movie. Uh, I, I have the feeling that cinema is like bringing together a lot of the stuff that is present in this moment of humanity as technology for conveying the message of something more you know uh, in this movie yesterday there were like the mayans and the the uh, black people that have always been pushed down in society like bringing Africa bringing its power, like Latin America bringing its power to the battle, you know, and there is like this whole message that is being conveyed through music, I mean, through cinema. And mm -hmm. and like yeah. yesterday, as I was watching the, the movie, I felt like the music also played a very important role in there. And I wonder how does it feel for you when you go like to watch a movie and there is like this merging of different things mm. so uh truth to be told i rarely watch movies um but i did when i was younger tons and i certainly um can relate to what you would what you what you're saying so let me just pick out mulholland drive from the 1990s which is by the name escapes me now but that song the title song is it just goes through your bones right it just gives you a heart warm and, and a bone at the same time and that's really important because of the the movie is it's not what it seems at the surface it's one of those movies that you watch two three times and you get a little bit closer a little bit closer but you still don't really there's just something not right and that's very much driven by the score. There's something not quite right here. Mm. And then I think after the third or fourth viewing, I actually checked probably on Wikipedia or something. So what the fuck were you actually intending? Mm. And I was like, oh, no, I still hadn't got a clue that this is about your critique of child abuse and in particular sexual child abuse in the Hollywood industry, as a world famous um, director, I'm just quickly, I just need to know right now. It's um, David Lynch. Mm. And Naomi Watts is the, the main actress. Yeah. That, that's, one, that, that's one example. Then 
it's just really interesting. Like I've never thought about this question and I have to go quite far back in my history because I really don't do much movies. So a lot of these things are now probably decades long uh, ago. Amelie, which is a movie about a French girl in Paris. And there is a Gitan style accordion. And again, that, that one particular song carries her uh, melancholic, tragic comic quest to find a place in life, right? Um, have you heard of movies by Peter Greenaway? No. It's sort of like in Europe, we call it like yeah. art, house, art house cinema. And he was quite big in the 80s and 90s. And he, he, he usually collaborated with a contemporary composer and conductor called Michael Nyman. And Michael Nyman has done the score for the piano. That's what he's famous for. But it's not the best work, actually, I think. His best work is for, or let's say his most audacious work is, 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 is in, uh, in movies like Prosperous Books, where because they take out, interesting, they take out a lot of the, the there, there are sometimes scenes for minutes where no one speaks a thing. But the camera is moving and there's so much going on and the music just carries the whole thing. So that as you, I think this is the, I think, I think the collaboration of Peter Greenaway and Michael Nyman is, is the most symbiotic one in, 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 a, in a classical sense because it's classical music. And then I've just kind of like tuned into one or two episodes because I, I don't do I don't do much media to start with and certainly not do any kind of like 10 season Netflix stuff. But I did tune into uh into Games of Thrones because it's actually my my old schoolmate and swim club mate Ramin Javadi who does the score. So he has become world famous for doing the score of Games of Thrones. And I kind of like wanted to know, what did you actually get up to? Because we always knew you were super talented and got into the whole prog rock scene and studied, I think, with Steve Vai in, in Berkeley in, in Boston. And then he got mentored by Hans Zimmer, German. And so Ramin grew up like me in Germany, even though he has Persian backgrounds. And uh, I thought like, I don't really need to understand the story but I just listen to your score and I get a sense for what this is about. Yeah. It's about love, intrigue, revenge, and all the, all the stuff that Games of Thrones became world famous for. And I think, I think that's another very, very symbiotic relationship where the score and the, the composer is inextricably linked with the, the movie or the series and vice versa. And none of them could have become successful separately. Yeah. And I, I mean, I, I'm wondering, like, given what you said about movies and scores and everything, uh, it seems like they played a made like a big role in your life at, until this certain point that something happened that you stopped uh, bringing in that kind of information. So I wonder what happened in that moment, and also uh, why is it not present like right now in your life? Um, yeah, mm. I'm curious about that. Yeah, that's a that's a very um, that's a very meaningful question because I let me just start here. I 
put something together yesterday for my son who's 13, like a few, a few YouTube clips about Ikigai, like the purpose of life. And because he has a school assignment where they now need to start thinking about what they want to do with their lives. <laughs> and oddly, oddly in my feed, there was a clip from The Office, the American version of The Office. And it just struck me that my ex-wife and I, we would basically spend a significant amount of our time together outside of work and then later on child rearing by watching stuff. And I, I use the word stuff intentionally. It's just stuff. It could be anything. It could be the office. It could be Arrested Development. It could be whatever. We we were, we were Netflixers, right? We, we were binge watchers. And... At the same time, I also had a high information diet in the form of left centrist media, like the Independent, the Guardian and stuff like that. And then the financial crisis happened a few years later, Brexit happened. And I, I realized that this is just really not healthy for me. I came across a really powerful article around that time about, and you might be closer to this than me, but I think somewhere around 10 years ago, Sao Paulo in Brazil, I think they banned public, a certain type of public advertising, maybe not all of it, but maybe like big billboards or something. And the reason why they did that, because they considered this mind pollution, like bad air, bad advertising, right? Mm -hmm. And it was like, fuck, man, that is absolutely a very helpful way of seeing advertising. You, you're just basically getting polluted with, with basically fast food for your mind. And so I've always been quite critical of media, um, but there, there were just a few global events where I just really started to reject mainstream media outright. Um, and ever since I have a very low, and I have a low information diet and a low time preference information diet, meaning I only really watch, um, listen to podcasts on weekends. Uh, you could you could tell me now, dude, you got the third prime minister in the UK in six weeks. I wouldn't know. I literally would not know. And so how does it relate to movies and Netflix? So A, I started to shift my attention to creating things because I was such a critical, you know, kind of like a, really like a, bit of a miserable moaning critic that just constantly deconstructed what other people were building or had built. And I just realized that that's not really changing anything. So I started to become self-employed and yeah, put my attention on other things. So I now critique by creation rather than critique by words. And in all of that, I became ever more wary about the the media part in the industrial military media complex, which is a, a term I think Eisenhower coined at the end of his presidency, right? So he, after four years of insight into what we now call the deep state and the black ops budgets, he actually put that out to his people saying, and to his successor, he's saying like, we must be aware and beware. We must be cautious and careful of this complex because it can, it just really, it, it encodes everything. It's an algorithm. It's, 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 it's a societal algorithm that gets deployed in so many different ways. And Hollywood is one of them. Mm. So 
here's what I remember I read about 10 years ago about Hollywood movies. And in particular, one of the series I absolutely loved. And that was called 24. That was with... I saw it. Give her time. Keith, Keith, I fucking loved it. It was like I had an accident. I had a knee injury and I, I waited for my operation yeah, and I couldn't it. really do <laughs> I couldn't really do much. But like, we need to get a chopper, you know? And then I found out, and I mean, who knows what's the truth, but I found out from, I think, reasonably credible journalistic sources that what, what Hollywood often does and I don't know how they do it, how much is intentional, how much is clandestine, how much is influenced by, you know, intelligence agencies and whatnot. But apparently they sometimes test policy, upcoming policy, upcoming shifts in policy in, in media, in films, in, in series. And one of the things they tested on us is how quickly we could get desensitized on torture. Because that's what Jack Bauer did 24-7. He tortured people and it was always serving a means to an end. So we were like, hey, popcorn, beer, come on, let's, let, yeah, Jack, go torture the person. While the US Army were torturing real people in Afghanistan, in Iraq, and in Guantanamo Bay. So how on earth can you be a citizen in the in the in the in the in the essence of the word, which is you take your duties serious? If you get completely drowned in like shallow entertainment and you love it, and then next day you're like, no, nah, not quite sure, but this doesn't really fit. Yeah, but hey, the next episode of 24 or whatever is already coming back into your consciousness stream. That was the first moment of like real, kind of like another, another like view behind the veer, right? I, I did already do a lot of research in my life, but that was like, okay, wow, that's another level. And then the, 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 the full blow for me, and I can only recommend this to anyone who's interested in why, why, why do we have this consumerist media, entertainment, high dopamine uh, driven society? It's by Adam Curtis from the BBC or ex-BBC. And it's called The Century of the Self. It's a four part series. I think the whole thing is about three and a half hours long. It's bad quality because it's a it's a some kind of screen grab from 20 years ago. And what I learned, and this is this probably is now I, I would say maybe six to eight years ago when I came across this. I found out within the first episode, so like 60 minutes of my life, I found out I got more insights into the deep mechanics of capitalism than in my economic study, than in almost anything that came before. And here's what it was. There's a guy called Edward, I think it's Edward Dim, Edward Dim, uh, what's his name? It'll come later. He single-handedly, together with Freud's sister or sister or cousin, he basically invented PR. And the brief was, I think it was the Pentagon or some kind of government. How do you control the minds of the masses in peacetime? Because they realize that when there's war, you can basically do all sorts of things with people. And we saw this with COVID. You know, when you when you when you impose like wartime restrictions, you, you can push all sorts of policies through the front door, even not just the back door and get away with it. 
And so they wanted to know, how do we actually control the minds of the masses in peacetime? And the answer was creating needs in people that they didn't realize they have through that, what we now call marketing. Back in the days, it was just called PR. Like, how do you create an emotional desire so that you buy something which is needed in order to, you know, keep the stock price of, of Ford Company high? And mm-hmm. Ford Company was one of the most important companies at the time to turn a utility into a consumer product, where out of a sudden, instead of just sitting with your ass on it and driving to the countryside, you felt great if it was from this brand. You felt bigger than someone else if it was with that brand. Um, so those are the reasons why I've become incredibly reluctant, careful of of media and movies and series and yeah, all sorts of input sources that I can't be hundred percent sure I can trust. Yeah. <laughs> Again, so much that I could say. One thing that comes to mind is a like a blog post that I read a few hours ago that was from a guy that is also pushing like in the intersection of Web3 and consciousness and the expression of spirit and all that. And, and he has been like four months creating content in social media and he said like, no matter how self-aware I am, like the tentacles of it are so powerful that you end up like failing, you know, it's it's so, so hard to uh, navigate those waters. So I completely get what you say. Um, for me, it has been a, a path of finding that balance between because like the input that I get from going to witness what the spearhead of this complex is through this movie, like yesterday's movie, for example, is one of the top box office of the year, probably. So the like for me, the information that is there related to what society is wanting and what is going on in society is very important. At least I get a lot out of it. So yeah, for me, it's more about finding that balance, but I completely get it, what you say. And another thing that came up because of what you were saying is that in in this like journey of being more aware of what you give your your energy to or what you do in life or like bringing more consciousness into your actions it is very easy like to try to follow the steps of other person you know okay this this Marcus uh, watched the movie The Century of the Self, so I will watch it and I will co- I will become like uh, aware of how life works in a different way, you know. And I, I see my own life history, and if I look back, like the the moment or the moments which started shaping like this resistance to the mainstream or like wanting to know more about life or wanting to experience it in a different way there is 
like not I wouldn't say like there is a particular moment on which I like something happened, you know, it's like more um, like you, you start finding this. Uh, it's like climbing, you know, you start finding where to put your 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 fingers and you like try to go up there and if it doesn't work, you go another place, but it's it's a very personal journey, I would say. Um, but I, I wonder like uh, which is your experience um yeah like bringing consciousness and you you spoke about uh, having a 13 year old and yesterday doing um like homework on which he had to discover his ikigai and he like what was his meaning in life or whatever so i wonder like uh, yeah many questions but like, which is the moment on which you think that this starts unfolding, like this process of wanting to live life in a different way? And and what advice, like, do you give to people that, um, yeah, want to start exploring, you know? I think that teenagehood is, is the first big big moment of emancipation. So you got the you got the the age of like two, two to three, which is or one and a half to three, I don't know. It's it's where you clearly start to understand that you are you, that you're not your mother in particular, not your parents. And then obviously every journey of life is different, but there is a yeah, it's a, it's an archetypical rite of passage to become a teenager whether that starts with age 12 or 11 or whatever but what what what, what denotes that is you reject the thoughts the ideas the points of views the values of your parents because you listen to them for the last 10 11 years and you formulate a more pronounced um abstract reasoning capacity you can start seeing things from multiple perspectives I, I remember that also when I was this age and I see this in him every day how <laughs> one day he comes back with a buzz cut which is all the rage amongst I think boys of all age like probably going into like the 30s I don't know where it comes from I don't know as I said I talk to any media so I wouldn't have a clue what that actually is but I can see what it looks like it's quite military style short hair and i looked at it and i thought like good job mate because i know it's what i know it's how he wants to express himself mm. and i probably look way too adapted for his yeah he calls me bitcoin boomer i always say you gotta get you gotta get your generation right mate i'm not a boomer i'm a gen xer but that aside i know what he means <laughs> he, he sees me as as boring and stale and yeah, it's when you often start to formulate your first political points of views. It's when you start to form identities. Yeah, when some people start to play with with gender, when they it's not even about becoming bisexual or homosexual or letting that come out. It's more like experimenting with that. All these things are expression manifestations. You you have a need for 
authenticity that breaks with the tradition of your parents. And that goes all the way back, by the way, to the century of self and media and all sorts of things we discussed. You basically extract yourself from the programming, right? So there's this beautiful book called The Five Agreements. And the way the way he frames have you come across this, the five agreements? I know the four agreements. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 the four agreements. He then later on added a fifth one, which I, by the way, don't even know. <laughs> yeah, you're right. It's the four agreements. I think it's Don Don Miguel Ruiz. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. So the four agreements are don't pay, don't take it personal, don't make assumptions, be impeccable with your words, and always do your best. And let me tell you, if I live up to them every single day, I usually have a good life. And if I don't, <laughs> I suffer. So there's some true wisdom in them. And that's why it's it's an ancient tradition, right? It's from the Toltecs. I find one particular uh, meme that he puts in the book actually more powerful than the Four Agreement in itself. And when he talks about the, uh, not the predator, he talks about the parasite. He talks about you have a parasite in you and you, your job is it to extract that parasite. And I think that's what, when when teenagers become resistant and even antagonistic against their parents' generation, I think that's what he refers to. It's the parasite of the cultural, educational, parental programming that you inherited from your parents. And now you actually stand up to it by asking a question, is this something that is really me? Do I really want this? Because the funny thing is also, I think in most cases, not in all of them, clearly, but in many, many cases, we have this arc, hero's journey, right? We get on another level of the hero's journey. And weirdly enough, we often come back to actually what our parents did best and stood most for. But we have to first go away. We have to reject it first. Only by rejection, by separation, whether that's geographic or mental or emotional, we can come back to, actually, they had a good point about X, Y, Z. <laughs> so I think this is this is when it starts in teenage teenagehood. And if you said, what's my advice to the 13-year-olds of this world? And I know this, this is incredibly, probably quite one-dimensional, but this is how I choose to, to answer the question anyways. If you can speak English, which I think is actually important in what I'm going to say, if you can speak English, if you have a mobile phone, and if you have access to the internet, get yourself in Web3. Get yourself involved in some DAO. It doesn't matter how deep or serious on the one hand it is, or silly and shallow with dancing crocodiles as NFTs. It doesn't really matter. But get an understanding of what, what Web3 is, what it means to just go into a DAO, which stands for Decentralized, Organized, Decentralized Autonomous Organizations, Go on a Discord. This is what a lot of kids already have. Go on Discord, find one of these projects and become a contributor. And that means in Web3 terms, become an employee and start asking questions. Maybe if there's a task to be done, write an article, make a little YouTube or TikTok clip, put it out there. So this is how you become a contributor. Get the sensation of getting paid in that token, even if it's not worth much or maybe even worthless, doesn't really matter, but get the sensation of, Oh, hang on a second. We just have this thing here. We just have a bit of a passion. People are whatever. 
yeah, Minecraft for autists. So just just find something that you like, and then have that firsthand experience of what it means to be in such an organization, what it means to make decisions with the voting structures and stuff like that. Because we are now seeing the emergence of the creator economy. We've, we've seen that for quite some time, but the problem with the current creator model instantiation is that it's completely dominized, dominated and monopolized by the big fangs, by Facebook, Apple, um, and other big ones, even probably Twitch and stuff like that, I would count into that box. Meaning the creator actually doesn't get a lot of rewards in terms of monetary rewards. And certainly there can be canceled at any time, right? So you are actually, you're, you're putting your whole soul out there and with one strike, your channel might be closed and you might not even get feedback on that. And that actually happened to, to my son, I think two years ago on YouTube. Whereas Web3 is trustless, permissionless or trust minimized um, anyways. And you can basically, you own what you create. It's actually yours. It doesn't belong to Facebook or YouTube. It actually legally is yours. And that's how we now will see the emergence of the ownership economy, where anything that's put out there in a digital form can be owned. And that means it can be owned by you. And for so many kids and young people that I know personally and I know of, aspiring to become a doctor or a lawyer or an accountant or any of these high prestigious job that we in the so-called West really like glorifies. First of all, most of these jobs suck when you actually do the job. And the only way that you make yourself liking them is because of the money and the status that comes with that. Whereas in the creator economy, you could have the weirdest niche with the weirdest fancy and you would find your hundred fans or your thousand fans, which is a, is one of the seminal articles, I think by Sam Altman or Seth Golding, I always forget. You don't need more people. Fuck all these millions of followers. It's just vanity stats. And I often counsel my son to not focus on how many viewers he has, because eventually he only quote unquote needs hundred people who pay for whatever he does on Substack or Patreon or any other subscription platform to make a living. Coming back to the Ikigai, doing what he loves, doing what he's great at, doing what people really want and doing what actually you can get a, a decent income from. So that would be my advice. Get into Web3 because it's coming. Uh, holy shit. <laughs> yeah. That brings me to, so yesterday I had an idea about the this whole adventure that I'm iterating with you in this moment, because um, like until now I have sat down to meditate through the album and to like just be there meditating, you know, and watching what comes in my system. And it's, it's very interesting, but Yesterday I came up with the idea of creating art as I was creating, like listening to it and the art being based on what I was listening to, to and then giving you as the guest, like that piece of art as an NFT, as a present for having been here. So I, I don't have it because I was meditating through the album now, but what do you think about that idea? Would you like to have that NFT in your wallet? 
I would love to have the energy energy in my wallet. And I would also just to 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 spin this further in a yes and fashion, yeah. it might also be interesting to have the whole conversation as an audio track, at least yeah. in, in the in the NFT as well. Okay. And you could even take it further than that. And maybe this doesn't apply in this particular case, but what I loved, what I what I love about your your intention and your approach to this conversation is to listen to an album, meditate, and then go straight into the conversation without knowing much about the person. I kind of had a sense that this is going to be no no agenda, just free flow, which is really beautiful because look at the grounds we covered, right? And the, it, 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 by the way, reminds me of Keith Jarrett, the, the other hot contender for one of the top three albums that I would take to the other side, which is the Paris concert from 1988. Um, <laughs> and what makes what makes the solo albums of Keith Jarrett so unbelievably unique, he would fly into the town where he got invited to play, usually three to five days before, and he would just be there. He wouldn't do sightseeing. He would just be there. He would get up in the morning. He would have breakfast, go to cafes, walk through town, talk to people. He would just soak up the space and he would soak up the season. So it's very seasonal, the, the albums that he did and the cultures and the geographies. And he would start to have a, a bit of a, a some kind of idea on, you know, what kind of mood he's in, what's the vibe here, blah, blah, blah. But ultimately, he would get on stage, he would sit down, and he would improvise for 40 to 60 minutes. Mm. And that is, I don't think that has ever been done in the same way. And there is the, the there's the myth. I don't know if he ever confirmed it or if he didn't, if he says no, he didn't do it. The, the, the most famous one is the Cologne concert from 1974, yeah. where apparently he had an orgasm while playing. <laughs> and he does he does make sounds that would very much you can you would definitely get away with that claim. So your approach immediately reminded me of his approach to play solo concerts. I said like hell yeah, it's absolutely awesome. So hell yes to the NFT. Okay, I don't have the piece of art, but I will send you the audio. <laughs> well, let me ask you. Let me ask you now the question. Yeah, what, before, what, before, what, before you okay. ask me the question, I just need to tell you that like episode four was with a guy from Russia, Andre, I think was his name. And his, cho his choice was the con concert of Keith Jarrett. And, wow. And he, he told me that uh, he was, he chose that one because he had an injury in his feet, I think, or something that was very serious and he went through the concert in spite of that so like the 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 passion that is transferred through the creation by being um, loyal to it you know like to truly wanting to express himself through the music because what you say about him uh, being in the place and like offering his presence to the place, you know, because uh, our culture uh, doesn't give enough credit to our 
soul presence, you know? So we can start this conversation and I could start saying, okay, this is Marcus, he is a PhD in biology or blah, 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 and, and start framing the conversation of like what can come up here with all those labels that we can put into like the presence, but that is not like true presence, you know? True presence is what comes through like the interaction of two human beings and it may be that you are a PhD in neuroscience or whatever, but if we end up talking about your dog and how your dog looks silly when he shits in the backyard, that's the expression of how your presence is experienced right now. And it's perfect like it is, you know, it's not more or less correct than talking about the neuroscience or whatever, you know? Yeah. So now you can ask me the question. <laughs> How did this album, Sasha and Volver, land on your ears and on your nervous system? Um, mm. What did you make of it? Yeah, before I, when I went to the house, my, my wife also asked me, like, and did you like it? Did you like the album? And uh, for me, uh, I, I tend, I mean, I'm going towards the abolition, completely abolition of that answer, because it's not something that I like or dislike, you know, it's an experience that I have as a human being and I bring it inside me with what comes. So it's not that I liked it or I didn't like it, I embraced it. You know, I lived through it and uh, what it brought. So my, my meditation process right now, it's very um, intense. There is a lot of uh, energy focused on like on the area of my third eye and it, it is very annoying sometimes, but I go through it. I don't um, uh, try to avoid it. I know that it's part of a process that is happening in my system and I'm not like pushing it away. So what this album brought was, um, I would say a, a dissolution of, of, of that ever present mind. That's why I asked you at the beginning, like what does electronic music bring to you? Because it brought that you know uh, the i feel that there is a lot of uh, uncertainties in the album like it's very random uh, a lot of things happen that I, I like very at the beginning i was like okay i'm not even going to try to guess what will come it doesn't make any sense so i was like <laughs> Yeah, it doesn't make any sense, you know, it's like a roller coaster of stuff that comes and I, I had like this bias of you yesterday uh, mentioning in the email that it was very psychedelic. So when when I read that, I was like, okay, bring it on. I, <laughs> I want yeah. that. And it, it was uh, like a journey like that. And what I would say it brought is, is peace, you know, is 
the the piece of on one side like allowing my mind to quiet down as i told you at the beginning i was like okay who is this person that recommended this and i realized soon that my mind was trying to play those games so i was like okay mind please open up the space i want to be here with my presence so it was like a good vehicle for that to happen and yeah there is also like a, a feeling of peace that comes from the it's like when you said that you don't consume any any media i think that there is a step before that of overwhelmment at least in my experience like holy shit there is all this media that i could consume like all these podcasts that i could listen to all these articles that i could read all these books that i could read all this that i want to bring inside my experience as a human being to enhance it and suddenly you realize that you can't and like becoming free of that and saying okay i will make it aside and like minimize the consumption actually brings peace at least to me and and also when you started talking about the album and all this um, like all the different times that you have listened to it and i was like okay maybe i won't listen to it 100 times i would love to but there is so much music to listen and to so few days in my life that i will surrender to the listening to it three times or whatever or ten or whatever and just embody what it brought to me today and what it brought to me today is the opportunity of having being witnessed of witness of that music and of you saying how it it encompasses like Mahler, for example. I, I have a book here, The Art of Possibility, that I, I brought it because here in one moment uh, he speaks about Mahler, you know, and there is something very beautiful that I want to find and read you because uh, yeah, there is like this confluence of life through music you know how how it comes together and and for me it it is not only about the album but it's what the album brought to my unconscious and to my conscious and what it brings through being able to listen to it through your words right now as as we have a conversation so it's more like a vehicle for the exploration of the human condition and i love that about music um I, I feel that we are at a point of history on which we need to find a common ground in humanity so that we can progress as a as a soul being going forward you know 
and leave aside like all the divisions and and i think that music plays a very important role there you know our our roots coming from africa and the drums that moves the music also coming from africa you know all that what i told you about the reggaeton that my baby moves to it because of the rhythm you know there is there is something there and yeah it's more about what it brings or what it will like the noise that stays in the pond as the like the uh, stone was dropped and there is still waves and they will be like being coming together in some way that i don't completely understand yet but it's part of the exploration so what is in me is is gratitude for you choosing it in such a mindful way and like i i love the certainty on which you shared it like okay this is it and now as you speak it's also you know <laughs> i just i just realized i'd just like to add a few more contextual layers on it so i was introduced to electro music by two friends called max and bob and at the time i was going through all sorts of trauma and trauma release and shit shows and near drowning and like a near-death experience and all sorts of dysfunctionalities and i could just get lost in electronic music in in a way that i couldn't get didn't get lost in other music before and two important things here first it sounds almost completely different on cannabis. So I don't think I would have ever explored the depth and the complexity of this album without cannabis. And it's interesting when I listen to it on MDMA, it doesn't really do it for me. I often don't get to the end. Whereas on cannabis, I'm like, oh fuck, that was 70 minutes again. <laughs> so that's, that's number one. And, uh, yeah, it's the, you know, the relationship with Max and Bob is paused or stopped. We'll find out in future, which I induced because it didn't really serve me anymore. But I just wanted to say, Max and Bob, if you ever listen to this, I love you for many things, as I said on our last date. And the, this music that you brought in my life is definitely one of it because I didn't really have that access to it before. The second thing I want to say is it is so... I, I often ask myself the question, why am I listening to this album so often? Because does it keep me stuck in something or does it remind me of something that I'm not ready to let go of? And I haven't found an answer to that. It just strikes me exactly to your point. There's so much music out there and I've 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 breached out into so many different subgenres and fractals of subgenres that I could certainly find more music. But let's just say I've got 100 hours of music listening or 1,000 a year or whatever. It is quite interesting that in the Pareto principle, I do go back 80-20 style to just the 20 or 100 songs um, that I listen to 80% of the time. And then within the Pareto principle, there is that album. <laughs> Basically, has almost has, is a nine, is a 199. It's like it, it, it consumes so much of my, my listening space and 
I feel good about it. I don't feel stuck or held back, but I, I'm asking myself the question, what is the evolutionary purpose for me holding on to that album more than any other album that I've ever listened to? And it must be emotional. I do know that, but I don't know what in, what kind of emotional, visceral experience that I'm still processing from these really often dark and unhappy times in my life, whereas now my life is completely transformed, but I still like to listen to that. Do you have any sense for why we do that or why someone like me does that? Yeah, I mean, I I can say that I love it. I It feels like what you said before about diverging from the parents and then going all the way around and coming back to the entrance point or where you started. It feels like what you say about this album is kind of similar, like going all around, listening to different stuff, but then coming back to like this um, safe. I wouldn't say safe. I don't know. Yeah, no, you're right. It's it's a comfort zone. It's a safe place. I know what comes. Yeah, but it's it's you know I I can relate to what you say uh, about books. I, I have a, a lot of books, but now I don't read too much. So it's like, but books always are interesting to me, you know, and there is particularly one book called The Infinite Jest from David Foster Wallace. That sometimes I have told myself like, why would I read another book in life if that one exists? You know, I could spend my whole life chewing that own book that only book and it's not because of comfort zone it's because of wanting to understand life through that person you know through what that person created and and i for me that relates a lot to uh, like putting me aside and realizing that the person that wrote that book is also an expression of who I am. Like he, yeah. I think you, I think I get it now. I think, I think, I think it's the expression of our authenticity expressed through someone else's art. And you mentioned a term earlier, you said you, you're just melting away, melting into the music. And this album is where I completely melt. If you listen to the first one or two tracks and then you would skip to like, oh, this is not really my cup of tea. It's all really too slow, too spherical. What the fuck is that all about? And then you skip to song number seven or eight. You're like, what, is that the same album? It's a it's a complete, right? It's, it's quite a big, quite a bit of, big of a leap. Um, and I did do actually have to correct myself. Uh, I do listen to it without any thought for significant stretches of time. And at the same time, in particular on cannabis, it then has sparked some of the most profound insights and creative ideas also, right? That also does happen, that it often happens after a long period of just being with the music and then flash happens. And that's why I think because it's so broad and diverse in, in style, even though it's electoral, it, I, th I think I feel expressed in in this in this album this is me i'm quite a complex character um and i think this is what, I, what why my ego likes it because it's very hard to pin down actually if you listen to it as i said in the first two tracks and then someone else listens to it in the last two tracks or in the middle they wouldn't have the 
a clue that they're listening to the same album, actually. And I think that really is me also a bit where I am, yeah, I have many, many different interests. And whilst I have a certain uh, foundation and, and, and certain, there's a certain sameness in me, like I'm extremely honest and, and, and so forth. But I, I do show up in various places, in particular in various tribes. Some of the tribes are overlapping, sometimes they're not. And if I was saying one thing in that tribe and one thing in that tribe, you wouldn't necessarily think that that's the same person. And I'm not saying anything different. It's not like I'm a, I'm a, I'm a two-faced person. I'm exactly me. I just have very, very different interests and applications and, and deploy that. And that's what that album, as I said, it expresses me. I've never thought about that. Thank you very much. But I have a super important question now. What is your number one album that you would take on to the other side when you die? Yeah, it's... I mean, I don't want to answer that question before, like, talking a little bit about what you said. I think it's... Very... Okay, sorry. <laughs> Talk about... Yeah. Yeah, because it's... I mean, I can I could say a lot of things, you know, but um, the one that is top of mind is that my my intention with this place is more than for myself, for the enjoyment. I mean, it's very important for me, you know, I I am starting to understand or to believe myself enough to do this, but there is a deep need in me for healing in like being the channel of healing of other people so like what you said before about this album um being the like the the way on which you feel understood by the world you know and and the fact that you give so much energy to this album and it fits you too much and everything i think is it's very important and with this I am like paid with the conversation because um, it, it also speaks about the importance of, of art of creating you know before you spoke about like this balance uh, between consumption and creation and and that is something that is very present in myself as i uh, think about means by which society can go or move towards a, a place that is beneficial for all of us for humanity as a whole and i think that the like the transformation of the equilibrium on which that uh, balance i don't know how to say it like my english is now getting weird but like now there is so much consumption you know and so few creation in most of of society so that needs to shift we need to find a balance between the amount of time that we spend creating and the amount of time that we spend consuming because Creation is the expression of the self, of the soul, and you need to express it so that you could, you can like thrive as a human being, you know, and and be, about what you said is like it feels like this album is the way on which 
like your your soul finds some some resonance in the world and because of that it can be expressed with more energy and it can be like a like you said it has been the 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 catalyzer of some of the most important creative processes of your life you know so i, I think there is an important thing to say there about like the resonance that the album brings into your being and how your being is expressed in the world through creation you know so yeah i in any world i would say that someone is stuck because he listens to the same album 100 times i would be like i am happy for that person you know i, I it must be amazing to have such a clear answer to this question and as an answer to your question like i i struggle answering that question because in my life there are not too many things that i can say okay this is like the most important thing of my life or at least this is like the top one because i try to live uh, completely in an exploration of what is now, you know, and if I attach my 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 being to to like a particular thing, uh, I I feel constrained in a bit, and I don't like that too much. So my answer to your question would be this album, because it is like the expression of my soul in this moment that is the conversation that we are having is like the yeah it's i i love talking to people that i don't know it's what makes me more happy you know it what it is what brings more joy to my life like going in the street and talking to the woman that is cleaning the street that is what brings joy to my life so having this album as the entering point of this conversation with you is what brings joy to my life right now. And that's why mm. I would choose like this album. That's a very Eastern tradition uh, sort of stance, like what's alive <laughs> to you in the here and now is what well, you listened to this album before we talked. Now we talked about the album. If you now went into into another afterlife well yeah i get that it's that album <laughs> because it was you know as sam harris who's sort of like my meditation teacher on this up waking up it's like yeah that the past is the past and the future hasn't arrived yet so of course through that lens of course it's, it is that that album i i absolutely get that but if, um, if i had to uh, uh, as i would say in spanish mojarme el potito it's like getting the ass wet a little bit it's like throwing myself i would say there is a like a latin singer called chayan i don't know if you know him he's like very mainstream and popular and everything and there is an album that he made in uh in the stadium of uh, river plate in argentina that is like 60,000 people in the stadium and 99.9 .9 of them uh, women uh, women and 
singing their song, like his songs with the heart, you know, and like crying and like, and I used to have that album in my, in my car and I used to sing also the songs and like there is, there is something about the songs that we know that we don't know that we know that mm. are part like that unconscious upbringing or like the place where we used to live and the music that used to sound in the radio that also brings joy to me like it's not the best music in the world and anything but there is like this music as the vehicle for just uh, expression you know just all the all the people in the stadium crazy singing and like energy moved and all that energy concentrated in that place and and that brings joy to me so if i had to say an one a different one it would be that yeah but is it an album or a song no an album a whole album okay because you, you you touched on a really important point which i think is really interesting in in your how in how you framed the question what is your favorite album that you would take to the other side had you asked a question what is your favorite song or even your top 10 songs it would have taken me weeks to come up with the answer why and this is i think this is this is getting into a different into a very different area of why this album why why do we do music why do we listen to music so a song is three, six minutes on average. Some of them are a bit longer, eight to 10, but it's nevertheless short. It's actually quite a low commitment, right? Whereas an album that's more than 60 minutes is a huge commitment of your time. Yeah. And so, had, again, had you asked me the question, I would have taken weeks to whittle it down to the top 100 or like even the top 10. And I would have said, well, for what, for each, can I have top 10 for each genre, like jazz and <laughs> metal? And it's like, how the fuck am I going to come up with like one or even three or five songs? Whereas for album, just to share my thought process, that was quick. That that took maybe maximum a minute. And I, I as I said, it was Gustav Mahler, Symphony Number no. 1, Keith Jarrett, Paris Concert, and then Sasha and Volga. Very quick. Those were really the only three ones that, and so they stand above the rest in my view, in for my ears, for my nervous system, for my biography. And then I thought, how do I now come up with one? Now he wants one, not two or three. Well, it is probably that I feel expressed. Mm-hmm. And as I said earlier, electronic music is so much more sounds a bit weird, but multidimensional than a piano can ever be, or that a classic concert can ever be. Because you can just, there's just infinite possibilities, right? Or as Giorgio said, there's no preconception on what to do. Um, that I then, again, when I then thought about the deliberation process of the three, I came again very quickly to the number one. Now, I could not say that about songs. So uh, how do you explain that? Um, yeah, I think that there is like a, a big thing related to the commitment of, of time and, and also this project is like a resistance act against playlists in a way, because I, I I really don't, I mean, in the house there is like, a, we, we play music almost all the time and Spotify keeps playing 
music that is similar to the one that was played before so oh. that is kind of a playlist but i'm not very fan of a playlist because you you jump from one place to uh, another place that doesn't have any relationship to the one that you were before uh, in almost any sense like rhythmically or like the what the music is about or whatever i don't like that and in albums you have like this whole story that was told by the creator and and i think that it's bringing a little bit of more depth into what we do if we are aware okay i will play this album and it will play for 70 minutes i have like 70 minutes of doing something particular whether I mean, if you play a, a playlist, you don't have that time frame. So uh, I, I like listening to albums because of that. And yeah, I, I would say answering your question is also like, because songs can be like about so many different moments in life, you know? Uh, yeah there could be like one that is repeated on the radio and you're stuck with it and it it brings memories about that um yeah i, I don't really know but but for me it, it has never been a question of albums or songs you know for me it's always like come on choose the album it's that you know so and what do you think about dj mixes is that somewhere is that more like album or more like playlist no more like album for sure more like an album yeah mm. yeah when when i go and and sit down to work uh, like the first thing i do i go into soundcloud and like search burning man or garbix or whatever festival and i play like a DJ mix because it's like more time. Yeah. And yeah. And I, yeah. I, I want to like start wrapping up because I could be talking to you for seven hours, but um, something that I learned now that I will do for the next time is like um, be clear about the commitment of time so that I can be respectful about it. So if if you have to do something now or whatever, please let me know. But yeah, for for wrapping up, I, I want to connect with a moment on which uh, you felt like pure joy of being alive while being in presence of music you know and and i want you to share that story like uh, place yourself in in your body that moment and uh, narrate what was going on uh, which was the moment in your life uh, who was with you, why were those, whatever comes up. I, I really want to connect like to one story in your life that is 
pure joy being expressed through your being because of the music that was being played. <laughs> it's 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 it was immediately there when you framed it. It's <laughs> in December 2018, so nearly four years ago, when I met my partner and woman dream woman and love of my life and goddess and stepmom also of my son we met in, in november 25th of november 2018 and then i think in mid-december around the 12th or something of december she came over to my place my son was not with me and we took mdma together and we had a house party and she is everything i ever wanted and wished for in a woman um and that first weekend where we were basically high on life high on mdma high on music is probably one of the most profound 48 hours of my lives in the sense that through music and other things including sex we encoded what became our relationship, which we 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 call an intentional development partnership, because we were both with people before in our lives, in a highly codependent marriage or long term relationship, and we both had the potential to fall in the same trap, basically, and that weekend just it just changed it just it just was it just leaped us into newer and more wise and more conscious versions of ourselves like you know like you, there's a saying a psychedelic experience can be 10 years worth of therapy in one night yeah. it's like that music weekend that sort of like mda music party really a lot of like as if we as if we have our own nightclub basically that felt a bit similar in terms of like an, an an upgrade of our of ourselves to be very different people and to be incredibly attractive people to each other um yeah that was probably because in my playlist <laughs> there are about maybe 10 songs that then created whole pathways, as I said earlier, electro is impossibly to describe. There's so many subgenres that I don't even think are worth putting labels on, but you just have a sense for, we have our, our playlists that have very, uh, very specific names. You know, there's a genius list, there's the goddess list, there is the, uh, the 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 babes list and uh whatever Li liquid love loop is one right and uh, <laughs> cruising through the galaxy mm -hmm. so we have so many particular styles for particular moods and situations and sensations we do a lot of body work now on these kind of music trips where we give each other massages and do like extended stretches for hours and stuff like that so it was that weekend in December 2020 that just preceded so much of what became our wonderful and beautiful life for which I'm incredibly grateful for. Wow.
I, I love that you have like such a clear understanding that what that was like the moment and I, I'm curious like what brought to that moment did you propose it or was she was there any resistance for going into that weekend no no at all no. we had met once we had we, we met on the 25th in a restaurant and it was love at first sight even though we met online but we only had one conversation on the phone and very little chit chat as she calls it because she doesn't like it um and then we had one sort of like evening date at my place um a bit hush hush because my son was sleeping upstairs but that was sort of like the okay should 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 we just pursue this and put more dates in the diary And in particular, shall we spend a whole weekend together? So it was a hell yes from from both. Mm. It was co-creation. That, that's exactly what our relationship is about. But here's a very interesting fact and a very interesting serendipitous happenstance that changed that 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 paved the way for the relationship that we have now. And it could have gone completely the other way. And that, interestingly, has to do with this, with the choice or the availability of psychoactive substances. I had tremendous problems with weed addiction when I was younger, and actually with a combination of weed and porn and masturbation addiction. And so I just actually had come off that for good about only three months before. When I, when I actually moved out of my, my family home. So I was very fresh and I had an app to, to track the days and it was, it was hard. Um, but in the end I won or like one, I, I, I tamed that part of me in the internal family system that needed that. Hmm. And we talked about drugs and she had more experience than I had. And even though I had quite some experience with all sorts of drugs and There was a misunderstanding. There was an absolutely, thank goodness, misunderstanding in the sense that I thought she would bring along some weed and she thought I had some weed. <laughs> and neither one of us did. And we now know that that would have created in the most probable scenario, like literally we're 80% certain, that would have created an an unbelievably fulfilling, short-lived sex, drugs, and rock and roll type relationship. Three mm. weeks, three months, six months, doesn't really matter. It would not have become what it is for various reasons. Whereas instead, we had MDMA, where we immediately went into healing mode. I'm mm. a coach, she's a therapist. We mm. went into compassion into yeah all sorts of non-sexual touch also because not that good for men to have sex on mdma so yeah it 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 that was a game changer and i think that also invited a particular type of electro music in which then became our music and She was, she was for 17 years with a DJ and a music producer. So she did know what good music is. And luckily, 
and this is maybe like a bit of my my ego pride still coming through now. I actually knocked her off her feet with my my music, which I inherited from Max and Bob, these two friends that I mentioned earlier. So that was that was quite contextually important that she said, mate, I know what good house and electro music is, but this is on a different level. And I'm like, okay, I had no idea. Good. <laughs> Let's keep doing this. Yeah. yeah. Liquid love loop. Liquid love loop. Do you have those playlists in Spotify or where do I'm you? An I'm an Apple person, I have to admit. Yeah, I will arrange my stuff so that I can listen to it. And yeah. I'm happy to send you all of them. They are incredibly, yeah, there's something even called Big Builds and Creative Dissonances, which is the everything that reminds me of Gustav Mahler's like disruptive music that goes onto that one. <laughs> Oh, holy shit. That is amazing. Okay, so I, I will use that reference to Gustav Mahler to um, tell you this story that is in the book, The Art of Possibility. Uh, this book was written by uh, Rosamund Stone Sander and Benjamin Sander. Benjamin Sander is the director of the orchestra, the Boston Philharmonic. And Ooh. in this book, uh, speaks about um yeah it's like eternal wisdom uh, phrased in a different way you know at the end of the day every one of these books uh, speaks the same truth i would say you spoke about the four agreements and at the end of the day they they all say the same thing i mean know yourself and act from there uh, yeah, so the story is um, Yeah, I will just read it. I think it will resonate with you. Please. So her five-year-old niece, Katrin, stopped to listen for a while and then asked, Auntie Anne, what is this music about? Anne said, Anne set out to weave a wondrous tale for the little girl, telling her a story about a wild and fearsome dragon and a beautiful princess who is locked up in a castle. For the duration of the 90-minute symphony, the ninth symphony of Mahler, uh, for the duration of the 90-minute symphony, Anne put her, spoon her tale of the princess and her handsome prince. The following day, little Catherine asked to hear the music about the beautiful princess again. So once again, Anne put on the tape and let it run its course, only occasionally reminding Catherine of her invented storyline. When the piece was playing for the third time at Catherine's request, about halfway through, she asked, Auntie Anne, what is this music really about? Anne regarded her five-year-old niece with astonishment and then began to tell her the true story of Mahler, how sad his life was, how he'd lost seven brothers and sisters from sickness during his childhood, so that the coffin became a regular piece of furniture in his house. 
She told Catherine how cruel his alcoholic father had been to him and how frightened his invalid mother. She told her that Mahler, Mahler's little daughter had died at the age of four, that he never really got over that loss and that he'd been forced to quit his important job at the famous opera house in Vienna because he was Jewish. And then, just before he wrote the symphony and said, Mahler was told by, by his doctor that he had a weak heart and only a very short time to live. So now, Mahler was really saying goodbye to everything and looking back over his life. That is why so much of the music is so sad and why at the end of the piece, it dies out to nothing. It's a description of his death as he imagined it, his final breath. And went on to explain that Mahler wasn't sad all the time. He, had, he was a great lover of nature and a powerful swimmer, and he loved to walk. He had a magnificent love and a huge love of life. And all this is in the music too as well as his sadness and anger about his illness and the brutality of his father and the vulnerability of his invalid mother. In fact, Mahler thought that he should put everything in life in his symphonies, so anything that can be imagined can be heard in them if you listen carefully enough. Yeah, got quite glassy eyes. And that's what art is, right? It's it's fed by the tribes and the tribulations of the artist, by the ups and downs, by the light and by the shadow. And I, similarly, I've, I've listened to number one because I played it a uh, hundred times at least. And I listened to number nine probably two or three times it's just fucking painful. Maybe at the time when I when I explored it a bit in more depth, like in my 30s, maybe it's time to revisit that and see how it now lands on me. And maybe because one of my big psychedelic experiences this year in Costa Rica in February was all about letting go. Mm -hmm. So maybe it's a good invitation to listen to that with a particular intention to let some of that grief that I still harbor in me from various life if, events to let that go. So that's beautiful. Thank you very much for bringing that, the ninth one, yeah. back to my attention. Yeah, and and also um, like talking about the album of Sasha, anything that can be imagined can be heard in them if you listen carefully enough. And only God knows that you have listened to that album carefully enough or how carefully you have listened to it. <laughs> so, I mean, I, I can only express gratitude also to you for bringing it to my awareness, bringing this conversation into reality as a possibility and uh, 
Yeah, what I feel now is also like this uh, peace that comes from letting go of not being able to talk more, you know, to dive more into the stories because we don't have enough time and because it's okay like that, you know, uh, we already gifted each other this place and that is at least for me all that matters so i appreciate it a lot marcus uh this was amazing <laughs> uh yeah thank you yeah thank you for giving holding the space for me to explore ultimately something that's deeply personal and something that as I said earlier, I didn't really have an intention, an agenda. I didn't have any expectations, but I had a, I had a certain, at a diff, at a deeper level of knowing, I had a some, I, I had a certain sense of exactly what it became, <laughs> yeah. and that's that's the way you hold the space in a very beautiful and very conscious and conscientious way. So, yeah, that's amazing. And um, yeah, for for me, the, the way that this moves forward is by asking, uh, this is in my mind now, and I, I want to share it with you, but I, I feel like it's going to be interesting to ask the you in this case to nominate some a group of people you know maybe five people in your life that you could uh, say that could benefit coming into this space with me and like exploring whatever comes from it so i want to offer you that possibility so that you can think about five people that i can invite and start like running that thread of randomness and serendipity in this crazy world you know i uh, this radio that i created human music is all about randomness and mm. i love randomness and i love going into the random and i feel that this is a good way of exploring that randomness like you said about these different groups of people that you belong and maybe uh, randomness is expressed through that so mm. I leave that in your plate if it resonates with you and yeah i wish you the best brother thank you likewise <laughs>